0: Here is Florian with a new podcast guest, so I would say introduce yourself.
1: Hi, uh, my name is Javier Rincon, I'm a lean uh, product and growth specialist and I help businesses discover scalable business models through lean innovation and uh, discovery driven growth. How did you
0: get to this position? What's the story behind it?
1: <laughs> Long story, but let's try and shorten it a little bit. So, um, I think since as long as I can remember I uh, I enjoyed building products Uh, so I went back home not so long ago for holidays and discovered the forgotten product I'd built when I was like 9 years old which is like an alarm clock with a light sensor which would turn on and uh, that surprised me uh, to see how far I actually loved products I think that's where it all began just me, my room, and school trying different things out trying to solve problems that I had and Jumping away to university, I went to study systems engineering okay. uh, at Loughborough University. Had a lot of different types of engineering such as electrical, uh, mechanical, aeronautical and it also combined it uh, with optional uh, business and marketing which I really liked. So that gave me a very good approach to try and solve very complex issues from the engineering side. and that opened up a little bit the business side and the marketing side, which I wasn't familiar with. Uh, from then on, I, uh, I took a, a job at Oracle uh, in Spain. So I went to work for doing business intelligence and quickly realized that I wasn't really fitting so well to a regular corporate job. And during university, I had a sandwich year before also at Transmit and Siemens, uh, building control systems for, for Shell. And I loved the complexity of things, but I think the regularity and the speed, specifically how slow things moved, that wasn't for me. So after a year at Oracle, um, I actually discovered what entrepreneurship was. Uh, I was down in Malaga uh, and uh, heard some guys in Madrid had this monthly event called Initiator. And uh, I got in touch with them and got that started in Malaga. And that's kind of what started my... uh, close connection for entrepreneurship. From then on, I, I really got hooked on it with a friend from Oracle. We decided to create a mobile application and applied for a uh, entrepreneurship competition in Barcelona, which we got selected. We went there and we didn't win, but you know we were quite high up there and that really cemented my passion for it and I decided to leave uh, Malaga. I went to Madrid and I started working for an accelerator uh, in Innovation Park of La Salle okay uh, so helping like a bunch of startups go to market and uh, also raise capital uh, we helped start uh, an angels investors uh, network in spain also and during that year i was able to really uh, work with a lot of talented people and just to learn so much from both sides of the spectrum from the VC side and from entrepreneurship side and and obviously decided that i wanted to do it myself so uh with a bunch of people that I had met from there, we decided to start a, a mobile startup called Loafer. Uh, and um, yeah, it was a very exciting time for me. Uh, the first time leading a company and raised a little bit of capital and, and worked on it for a year and launched. And, 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 and it did all right. Um, not the, say, growth story that I was looking for. Yeah. Uh, even though very exciting, very nice people. and. I decided that maybe Spain at that time, 2009, it was a little bit under the weather, yeah. we could call it, uh, with nice language. So um, I thought, like, I think I need to move somewhere. Uh, and I thought, well, the US had always been a dream of mine to go there. So I was about to go there and just like a week before I got an offer from a company here in Berlin called Wunderlist. Yeah. Very exciting company, very exciting team and decided to come here. Uh, like 10 days after pretty much learning about the opportunity and um, I came to work as, as chief marketing officer and with, with a focus on product and upon arriving here in Berlin I realized the product was an, an absolute uh, legend it was a great product, incredible product great traction uh, and understanding they needed more of a, a marketing uh, a personality uh, the product was Really didn't need any help at all at that point. I continued on uh, to freelance for other startups, helping them with uh, retention and, and revenue and, and acquisition. Some focusing on helping them get more revenue and increase conversion rates. And and through that, like, that was for a year. And then through that, I, I met some very very cool people along the way, worked in some great companies, and. Uh, Made some really good friends, and with a couple of Spanish friends that I had met here, we uh, founded an agency, which is Proud Um And then for six years, we were helping so high-growth startups, kind of like their uh, uh, their guerrilla product slash growth team. So we'd go in there and, and help them grow the product and. Uh, and, and get more users and, and, and increase their revenues. And uh, it was a lot of fun, obviously, uh, very exciting, uh, talented teams uh, working a lot with business analytics and, and usability. And, and obviously, at the time, 2012, 2013, things that were still really not that well understood at the execution yeah. level. Um, and uh, that was until. Uh, last year and we were able to work with some really really cool projects like uh, Pluto TV and they, they, they got sold uh, and, and Open Me and, and they got sold also uh, later on and uh, Plug DJ and it's just very very cool things we learned a lot uh, mainly a lot of projects from LA and, and from that area so uh, guys that were uh, highly competitive and, and highly knowledgeable and we were able to just really put our heads together and, and and uh, just get some really good results. And, uh, and from then on, just at the end of that phase, we realized that even though we we're getting really great results from a product perspective, um, sometimes we weren't moving the needle enough on the business model side. Yeah. That leads me into uh, what I'm doing now, which is Lean Crush. And the idea behind it was that it's not just about the product, but it's about making the whole business model work. Uh, so for the past few year I've been doing uh, consulting and freelancing for companies for that and focused at the first level on understanding that the business model works and obviously a great product uh, focus on product but specifically on business model discovery and customer development uh, and that's been the past eight months just doing workshops and trainings and and, and working boot camps and sparrings and it's uh, just being a lot of fun so uh you know, uh, sh- short story long and that's about it <laughs> cool so uh, let's
0: jump back for a second so as you were joining uh, Wunderlist how big have they been during this
1: time like on which stage you joined them so at the time I joined I think there was about 20 to 25 people more or less um, I think the application had already a, a, just about a couple million downloads so they had really uh, started to get Really good growth. Mm-hmm. Um, they're starting to release uh, different versions of the product, yeah. and uh, and they were just about to during my time there raising capital with Atomico, so yeah. uh, high growth part there, yeah. And uh, so then after that, the big
0: scale came. After like the it it's starting to fly when
1: you started there. Yeah, so it continued really on on a really good trajectory. And, um, so I was there a short time, um, and understanding that marketing really was their main goal at that point and not so much product. And obviously, after I continued to do my freelancing, uh, Bundelist continued to grow really great. Um, there was a very exciting product that just at that time they were developing, which was Kit Yeah. Um, and um, they decided to refocus back into Wunderlist yeah. and, and really go all hands down into that. And that was a great decision. And, you know, as you know, it, they, uh, they sold to Microsoft and they did really well and uh, very loved product by everybody. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they started to invent
0: Wunderkit, and then we also didn't work so well and was too much hassle. And then they changed back to Wunderlist because that was they had the best uh, feedback there. Mm-hmm. So as I went in to startups to help them to scale, like as a growth team, what was the most common mistakes and errors you, you saw there or you,
1: you, you were faced with? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the most common mistake I feel was the startup on evaluating that they were ready for scale. So I would say premature uh, scaling. Yeah. Um, obviously, investors are pushing, and stakeholders and the CEO and wants things to move fast, and their own ambitions wants you to grow fast, you know, and, and keep that going. And I think the main learning that uh, I got from all of the projects that we really worked on, I mean, including Oracle back then in in their own environment, was trying to scale before uh, they should. Uh, so. I, Obviously, the root cause of that was not finding, uh, of the problem was not finding real product market fit or a core uh, product market fit and then maybe going with some vanity metrics or so those metrics that aren't as important or that don't um, showcase real traction and then just deciding to then um, execute on a scaling level, which means you know, doing ad spend, you know, building many more additional features, growing your team, um, those kind of things, instead of realizing that traction is still the most important metric and to really safeguard the company's focus towards that uh, and keeping a discovery uh, methodology towards finding traction instead of just a full-on production or execution yeah. Uh,
0: that was the biggest thing. Yeah. Would you say the product market fit is similar or the same to the traction findings slot or finding issue? It's similar or the same, or is different?
1: I I think the the way I've come to understand product market fit, you know, in the last years, is that you know it's never really done. It's never really completed fully. Um, and if I think around. The business canvas, you know, um, or if I think about the company's value proposition within a, a market canvas, um, we definitely need a, a core product market fit, one that at least takes hold of a certain amount of users within the market and creates a niche for that value proposition around specific customer jobs that their product is focused on, that you do better than anybody else and obviously that you're able also to reach a certain amount of users. So not in a super high growth manner yet, but at least that you're able to reach those users in a way that, let's say that you are going to have some organic growth and specifically that those users aren't going to be leaving your platform, so you're gonna have good retention. So, so I think that's kind of how I define at least we can call it maybe initial product market fit or core product market fit, and I guess traction for me is more the the driver of arriving at uh, core product market fit or more advanced market fit. Um, so obviously they're closely interrelated. But I'd say traction for me is the, you know, the 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 amount of value we're able to capture. Right, from the value we create, from the value we deliver. And obviously a minimum set of that traction should uh, be defined in a core product market fit. So if you would imagine we would found a startup together
0: mm-hmm. and we uh, produce sandals, um, special sandals for people with a certain size of foot, which is kind of rare. Mm-hmm. And our sandals fit them the best. And the pain is that there's no good perfect sizing shoes out there, and our shoes are. Mm-hmm. So we would try to, to reach this people as consistent as possible. And good question how we do this. Let's say we found out that they all are on Facebook and uh, post about this on one point, so you can reach them on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Then if you prove that like you, you can gain the pain there, like you can help them, mm-hmm. you can do a good job, then the next thing would be, we would be only ready to scale if we would say, okay, we can take certain things out of this shoe or the sandal and like make it to a normal sandal with a brand and mm-hmm. then we could capture with that potentially a, a new, a bigger market. Mm-hmm. And this would be the sign that we are ready to scale or this is something we need to prove in testing to be able to scale or how you would describe that or go, go with it. Yeah, sure.
1: So recapping so we have a sandals uh, company and we've found out that we have a need to fit which is this specific customer segment right and nobody else is doing it as well as us you know so kind of like the maybe the overlaying question is so what next yeah. and do we just you know scale it I and mean, in what how do we scale do we you know, plug more products into that the, the way I see it if I bring like a visual kind of representation to that yeah. and if we found like um, like one road like if we imagine like an autobahn of like many yeah. different like roads with cars and I would say that you know that first road that core market fit of finding the customer defining the market defining the value proposition uh, we've built at a small scale right so we've proven our concept right and then I think there then we would be ready to build the rest of the Orban and and have our car go really fast, right? So in scale, in this case, maybe start um, growing the amount of ad spent, you know, we put into targeting those customers because at this point we've had validated, you know, where they are, what their demographics is, that indeed they need our product. And then obviously we'd have, uh, or we'd start to validate at, 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 that midpoint that you know um, how much we are able to spend on acquiring those customers that we can make on um, on the selling of the sandals, uh, which doesn't necessarily have to be completely true, but yeah. at least we have an understanding of that, and then the next steps then would be all right, so um there's several options there, right do we target another customer that would be. And problem, if we just scale it immediately, we would have to do a little bit of discovery there you know, to see if, that, uh, if if our product would still fit the needs of those uh, new customer segments. There's a high chance that it could be, but if we really miss target, it's not. So we should you know, take some discovery uh, exercise there and, and see that that works. At the same time, we could do another discovery exercise, which is like, "Hey, can we sell our existing customer base other similar products?" Yeah. Right. So then, instead of maybe scaling again and you know just creating another product, a shoe, and like just sell it to them, we you know uh, do another discovery exercise, speak to them, you know, see, hey, uh, you guys have also issues with this, and try to build another value proposition at small scale, Uh, and then again, if, if we validate that, then we could start scaling that too. So I think the the way forward, similarly in product development, I feel is that every time we do hit some kind of fit that we always need to be discovering. So discovery and scale, Like I don't feel it's the classic graphic discovery and just scaling, but scaling is also completely focused on a dual track of, of discovery and execution. And discover like what is a discovery experience for you? Like, how does it work? And mm-hmm. um, I think the most established uh, kind of methodology to do this, uh, I think that we all know, is customer development. And I think customer development is very effective because uh, it takes into account that not only don't we know the solution that we need to create, right, but we also don't know the problem. So the most specific problem that we need to be focusing on is the market of the customer. So instead of product development, we focus on customer development and the first part is understanding our customer profile, right? So if we look at Strategize's value proposition canvas, as you know, um, we want to really understand uh, the people, what they're trying to accomplish, uh, what customer jobs they have and obviously the gains and the pains that, that they're trying to uh, get or avoid and uh I think a very good way of helping uh, validate the customer profile with the running lean, uh, the book from Ash Maurya. Uh, they have something called the problem interview. And I think that's very effective uh, to be able to identify the customer profile, and the pain points, and everything that is in there. Uh, and then once that's done, then go back um, to the team and define a value proposition, uh, which then we would then again, go back and present it to the customer. And I think, again, Running Lean has a, a solution interview, which I think is quite effective if you're really starting up and you can make it more complex from just using a script to validate to then using storyboards to then creating a small MVP and, and, and so on. And I think through that process um, of starting with the customer, uh, if you're just beginning the startup, and then going down to your uh, to your value proposition and going from one to the other. Creating and validating is the way to go. Um, and if we're looking at from a product perspective, it's really the same, uh, exactly the same process, just a different state and uh, lower level yeah. of definition, right? So in the product, we might start from analytics, go into your web analytics and try to look at your story and your funnels and, and seeing what the Um, where the constraints are. So that's a really good sign already of where the problem or where the customer is going to have problems. And then from then on, you would move again to some qualitative work, uh, surveying, uh, interviews, and then that would help you define the customer profile. And then you would go to your designers and your team and create the value proposition. And then again, you know, show it to them. And the important part of this really is to try and use and as few resources as possible i think that's really the key to discovery uh which is we start with the premise that we don't know uh where the gold is and that you need to hit upon a possible a few different places on the ground and then if you know if you do hit something then you can start fixing on that but not know drilling 100 meters into the ground on the first idea or the first location we might have because we think that's the way to go. Um, that type of execution is, uh, is completely filled with risk and, and obviously waste and, and that's where discovery has become now it's got a life of its own really and it's really taking over because entrepreneurship is completely filled with high uncertainty and discovery is basically the best way to tackle that so you say, in like uh, scaling is also
0: always in and together in part with the discovery phase. So it's always discovering, and probably you do it. You always do this on a product and like the customer level. So, do you, is there a certain point where it's starting to run, or is it like always going on? It feels more. Does it feel really really like a rush on a one certain point if you hit the right buttons, or is it always
1: like a more like a grind? How you would describe it? Mm-hmm. I, I um, in terms of discovery starts running. Do you mean? Or um, yeah,
0: like you start always like that. And I'm wondering <laughs> if you have a really nice kind of hockey stick growth. or gotcha. imagine. Is it? Is it? Is a certain point that it didn't go, or is it always like a grind? You don't really realize that you just because you're grinding it anyway out, <laughs> you put more resources in because you need it. Yeah, yeah. How, how would
1: you describe that? that that, that's a really good point i I think the way i see that is if we look at a few products right they might hit a a a certain amount of fit and that fit is enough that they're able to really ride a hockey stick growth for a long time and they don't really need to do much discovery and i've been thinking about that um quite a lot lately and Obviously the conditions that are required for that to happen is first you need a big market. Um, number two is you need a, a a customer profile that really has an unmet need at a few levels, maybe two or three characteristics of the product. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you also need a value proposition that is fitting uh, uniformly to this horizontal Customer segment. So, mm-hmm. so a, we can set, we can if we speak in movies, which is yeah. a very easy way also for everybody to understand. I mean, uh, Michael Bay uh, has a very very uh, large market base. He's got the four quadrants of the market. Um, he touches on very common archetypes that affect everybody, yeah. right? And then he has a very very Uh, let's say, specific value proposition that uh, just with that doesn't need to go more complex, right? So he's targeting a mass consumer product. And I think when you're targeting at those levels, I think your discovery phase is is quite slow. Like he hasn't Mm -hmm. innovated in seven movies, right? The Transformers movies, they're all the same. There's no discovery aspect there. So in product, similarly, it it happens. I think um, the... Issue I feel that a lot of companies do hit is that when you've hit such a gold mine in in in, in this product and maybe you don't need you just scaling for a year or two year period, there is a moment where that market's going to get saturated. Yeah. Right? And because your company's capabilities haven't been dealing with discovery, all of a sudden you are applying uh, execution and production techniques to a moment of discovery and a lot of companies when it happens, it's, uh, it's, it's very classic that they hit a massive growth they hit uh, this point of saturation and growth will always normalize to zero yeah. so if they don't have a, another existing uh, growth engine then everything starts going down because at that point culturally, because they haven't been discovering their innovation has stopped and other hungry companies have innovated. And so they lose their competitive advantage. They also lose market base. And then once that happens, um, unless they're very legacy-established, they normally uh, they normally go down or, or they never recover. Yeah, so that's that's the, the number
0: point why you should always be in the discover phase so that you're ready if your growth is finished, because it will be finished in one point, that you can come up with a new gold nugget
1: exactly um, I think um, just a point to that one methodology that I think the corporate world has maybe a little bit disregarded from the entrepreneurship or in the entrepreneurship culture I, I personally coming from a very heavy engineering background I um, I think there's a lot of value in, in, in corporate methodologies in this case the three horizons I think it's I think it's Mackenzie um, I had known about this methodology for for a while and I had just considered it to be a little bit of babble and the last year, year and a half, I've realized that that's actually the, uh, the result of a discovery culture uh, implemented by high companies. So you have your three horizons and your first horizon which tackles the 0 to 12 months is for your core products. And then from 12 to 36 months, which is Horizon 2, you're tackling with adjacent, which things that are, let's say, new businesses that you're starting to run. And then your Horizon 3, which is further uh, than those three years, is your really breakthrough ideas. Uh, right? And uh, looking at some cases specifically, uh, there's a. Uh, so Amazon is a master at uh, working on all three horizons. The problem with most companies is that. You have your third horizon, which is great ideas, or your first horizon, which is your day-to-day. And then it's very hard to transport your third horizon or your great ideas into working businesses. And the only way to do that is through a, a methodology, a methodological approach, a systematic approach of discovery and exploration, which is you take an idea and then you try to validate if or where the business value of it is. And, um, I mean, already in, like, 1990, so IBM is a great case study with it, uh, where they were doing very, very badly, and Lou Gertner, the new CEO, came in, um, recovered or resurfaced this thing called the EBO, the Emerging Business Opportunity Program, Mm. which was basically just a three horizon program and they took it seriously, they really evaluated it business uh, case by business case and they put people to work on it and they made it a priority in the company and, and very few years after uh, the two, three years after really IBM reinvented itself um, which everybody had thought they were, they were a dead company and, uh, and, and they really established themselves in the market again and you know, what's really surprising to me about that is a company such as IBM, that, you know, from an entrepreneurial entrepreneurship level, everybody was criticizing and is the Very butt cool. of, right, many, many jokes. They have that and they were able to do that. Uh, that's incredible proof for me that if, if such it's such a big beh- right? that it's possible. They're, they're slow, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're giant, uh, they were uh, dead fish in the water and change at such a dire situation it's its almost unheard of really. So if they did it then it means that that methodology of discovering uh, transforming Horizon 3 into Horizon 2, it's really what entrepreneurship is. You have a breakthrough idea a crazy idea and then you try to make it Horizon 2 into it. In our case, it's the other way around but that's the same thing and uh, and I think that works really well.
0: How does the transitioning work? So... You know, like if you go between different phases, um, how you decide that you can go in, and like, can you actively decide you go in the next phase, or can you always say, "I find the solution that it will work," or how do you can say, "Okay, no, we need to cancel it here." Mm-hmm. What what is
1: your experience or your thoughts on that? So, in terms of also uh, canceling different opportunities, or or knowing yeah. if you double down or you yeah. consider. Mm-hmm.
0: You need to go back to the whole discovery phase because yeah. you know it's you're on a dead end, it's like yeah. Or you say you know no, I'm not a dead end. I can invent myself. Or I can figure a way out. So, mm-hmm. what is your experience with that? What
1: mm-hmm. are you are you thinking about that. Sure. So, I think in terms of phase-wise, the 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 way that is most surely to make sure that so you, when you have your growth engine and by the time something happens that you have something ready, it says to separate, uh, so to work in parallel on all three horizons, right? So you're working maybe 70% or 75% uh, or, or even 80% instead of 99 as we most do in your horizon one, and then you have maybe 15% in horizon two and 5% for horizon three, so 80, 15, 5, uh, and working on those in parallel because... Uh, it's not possible to separate, like, okay, I'm gonna do phase one, then we do phase two, then we do phase three. Okay, okay. Um, because by the time if you're only working on Horizon One, then you will never stop working on it, right? So, you need separate initiatives to kind of complement that. Um, when you are developing those new business ideas, I feel that it's very common to go back and forth between the first step uh, and the second step, so customer discovery um, and customer validation. I think that it's logical to go from one to another as many times that one really needs to, because at the end of the day, it is an exploration process, and we come with assumptions that we want to validate, and if they're invalidated, and then we move forward, right? It's like Titanic and the iceberg, Right, like it's just because we say it's not there and just go full steam ahead, it's still there and we're still going to crash. Um, So, so I feel that culturally, uh, it's very important to be able to have that kind of allowance, right? So, the mindset around discovery should be not about meeting, you know, uh, product roadmap features. Right, with deadlines and dates because that puts the incentives for the whole team in the wrong direction. There should be an opportunity, uh, a, a set time allowed to try to discover an opportunity and then uh, the testing that needs to happen in order to validate or invalidate it. And, I mean, ideally, you're going to do it in that time. That's why speed is such an important factor and that's why trying to do things very lean. It's such an incredible uh, factor. But if by the time uh, that you finish this allocated time, you haven't discovered, what most not definitely happen is scale. Uh, because then you're just going to waste the money, you're gonna waste everybody's time. And, and that's really hard if the culture doesn't accept it, because there's a lot riding on that person. As a, yeah. You know, right?
0: Yeah. And you said like… Out of your experience, you should work on your, all the phases similarity, like similar, like on a, on a similar time scale, like just with different percentages. So, um, does this is also count for startups. So, in our Zendel's example, like what does it mean for this young company to work on like the phase two, three, and, like Horizon two,
1: three, and four? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a great question there. I think it has to come case by case. I, I do feel that high focus is a, uh, it's, it's a key competitive advantage at the start. Mm-hmm. So if you're just, you know, uh, if you found some kind of value, you know, and then to all of a sudden I come in and like, okay, let's find more value. Like first thought would be like, are you crazy? We, let's, let's Let's exploit this as much as we can and let's just focus on that 100%. So there's definitely a case to be made uh, to that, Um, and I think maybe it's more a question of when across that line, right? Um, I mean, I think when you identify value, sometimes if the value is strong enough and your competitive standing isn't, the only metric that matters is really gaining uh, uh, competitive advantage. Right, so then the more focus you put into speed on working on that value proposition, the faster you're going to go, and the harder it's going to be for those guys to catch you. Um, I think maybe the level of discovery at that point might fall inside, not so much the business model, but maybe more we'll be speaking at discovery inside the product level. Right, Mm -hmm. so so we we found we found the gold, right, the gold mine, the minefield there, and then said like, all right. this is it. We're just, we're staying in this area. We're focusing here. And I think that's totally acceptable. And it's probably a really good idea. Uh, and then the next idea would be like, all right. So within our sphere of, of, of operations, you know, what can we do to improve our speed? What can we do to improve our results within it? So then discovery mm-hmm. would go down one level and it become maybe more just product discovery. Um, I mean, in the case of the sandals, um, it's, it's, it's a curious case. I mean, if, with, with such lack of competitive advantage, I think it would make sense at the same level. So if, if that's the value proposition, focus on that 100% and then maybe start seeing what discovery. So the discovery would focus on what maybe product variations. So small variations we could sell to those guys instead of let's go into the backpack business or yeah. you know, let's go somewhere else. If you if you went into the companies to help them um, with
0: their growth teams, what was your main work there? Like, did you help them to get back to the discovery phase, or did you help them to scale their teams? What was your your
1: your job there? Mm-hmm. So, mainly, we came in with a, with a small team and worked on the actual product ourselves, uh, and collaborated obviously with 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 them at a super high level. Um, so. Very specifically, where well, we'd come in and try to understand what the product was at, and obviously look at the objectives they had, and then would implement metrics. Would be uh, if they didn't have them, uh, if they did have them to make sense of the metrics that they have. Um, I think and the metrics are typical
0: key performance indications, so, or what are matrices in this case?
1: Sure, so um, I think the, um, the model that. I think it's very simple and that everybody understands that I, I really like the, the are the, the pirates, uh, metrics for pirates and Dave McClure acquisition to activation to retention to referral and revenue, uh, as the macro metrics, um, because they are the ones that define traction as a whole. Yeah. Um, so I think what I learned from early on from, doing really big metrics implementations and making a lot of mistakes myself uh, and and trying to track a lot of things and then having a difficulty in really making any sense of of, of insights uh, there was to really start at at that macro level and then uh, once we understood where the real big constraint was within there, then implement more specific metrics within that specific block uh, and try to understand where the more specific constraints were there. Um, and then obviously uh, I mean if we're looking at retention so, so cohorts uh, would be I think one of the biggest things that we would love to use to try and understand product usage at uh, at a level of, uh, of of monthly intervals and you could go much much, uh, much more defined intervals but uh, uh, if we're looking at a year monthly intervals really helps you understand progress very easily so with that said that would be the supporting base of any sort of product work that would happen. So every product or every activity uh, done on product would have to be reflected on those metric sets. And as we would confirmed, those metric sets would then have to be uh, related to the actual business side, right? So, mm-hmm. so that connection would be, have to be defined. Um, obviously, that was the business side was the learnings that we got in the last Two or three years, as I said before, and then um, so after the the metrics were implemented and we're able to really identify from a constraint level where the issues are, then we do a lot of qualitative work. So we do a lot of user interviews with people. Uh, we've spoken with hundreds of people to try to understand why that is. So the constraint, the metric constraints tell you where. The qualitative angle tells you why. Um, Surveys, user tests, uh, all sort of understanding of of you know where the potential problems specifically lied within it, uh, and then with that, obviously, there's a big amount of work in terms of prioritization and understanding what sort of opportunity fixing that problem might present in terms of the of the product uh and and then so working on the design so we would actually create the designs and 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 uh and then work with them to implement them and obviously get the whole tracking in in place and and by the end uh complete the tests uh, we do a lot of ab tests uh to try to understand that these new designs were in fact performing better uh than, than the old ones and and so be confident that we could move forward uh with um, with a stable system and, and do it again and then do it again and do it again. So,
0: what is a concrete example? So, then you help to redesign a website or the app, or what? A, what is
1: then the concrete example for that? Sure. So, um, we could go from e-commerce to SaaS to latest application that uh, we've been work we were working with a couple of years ago, and that's a website for music. So, there's a bunch of users there, and they come in and. We understand that through the metrics that people are arriving, and too many of them are not signing up, yeah. even though the traffic is very direct and uh, is the direct traffic uh, is, is 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 highly targeted. So we're trying to look into that, right? like okay, so what's the problem, right? And, uh, and quickly you find that there's issues with the usability aspects and people really. Understanding what to do once they arrive to the product right and then from then on uh, redesigning specific parts of the website or the application uh, and, and then testing that that part actually performs better so when people do arrive in fact that they will understand it, they will sign up and then they will come back later more often uh, and, and yeah and then go down the list of, of roadmaps just repeating the same process so, so try to keep it very scientific in in trying to move forward,
0: and you want to and the main and the main numbers you want to improve is then the typical things for growth. So you user registrations. What is that the main matrix like user retention and so on? Exactly. So just like the main matrix then for growth, which you would say, okay, if we have this right, then mm-hmm. you scale, you grow. Exactly, and. Um, what what would you say, how does the business model canvas place into this whole thing? Is it just the aftermath, where you say, okay, how you've seen in the last five years seems to work, it just made it you in a nice structured way to see what we did was good, mm-hmm. uh, or can it help in
1: advance? I think it can certainly help in advance, I mean, in this specific case that we're, that we're speaking, so. We made heavy improvements in terms of uh, of the uh, like sign up metrics, yeah. and what we realized was that there was another level that we should be very fast thinking about, which was the business model canvas. Um, we even though we had um, there's millions of users there, there wasn't a validated way of generating. Uh, uh, enough revenue from those millions of users Mm -hmm. so um, it wasn't certain uh, what the best way forward was right so people would stick people would really like the product and there was a a highly uh, invested community into it but there was an issue with, 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 with high monetization right so I think the thought process where the business model canvas there of brings down to the table is alright that's great that we can find big constraints within the customer factory or the, the metrics, the, the R kind of funnel but we need to go one level backwards which is the actual business model right and yeah. instead of just focusing and working on the customer factory what we should be testing right up front is our assumptions of what our business model actually is and then if that business model if if we actually if we create a financial model or a, a growth model out of it in excel or, or or google sheets and and then we see that even if we improved the customer factory by seven hundred percent that our model would say that we'd have to i don't know generate three trillion users to make that yeah. financial model work, yeah. then obviously that's not the right way to go so Going back to that business model, laying out the different types of business ideas that we would have and then creating small tests to see if some of them would stick or not. I think that that would have been also a a best way right out of the bat. Um, So I think that's how the the business model really helps today. I mean, um, I dealt with the business model canvas many years ago, uh, put it on the side thinking that it was just a trendy thing uh, to do, put it into the the desk and forget about it. And I think with the new uh, rise of, uh, say, customer development, but mainly risk management and and lean testing, uh, the the, the business model canvas has really taken uh, an operational role. Uh, And I think a lot of people haven't seen that yet. Uh, and I'm very passionate and that's kind of what I'm working a lot with, which is, hey, let's not work on features yet. Let's first really try to define that our business model is working and, and let's do it in a in a very executional uh, oriented way. So no wishy-washy. Uh, it's a product mentality just done at a business model level. And the uh, risk testing means uh,
0: you mainly check, okay, it's like a balance sheet and then you check where are certain risks in which elements of the business model canvas where scaling could be prevented or like it could fall back so that's like mainly you look on it you check okay it's a balance sheet where could the balance be wrong or where could be an area
1: of of risk and of focus right? Yeah so that's the main concept behind it I mean anybody that's done a business plan knows the risk assessment part with it I dealt with it in the past I had also not taken it seriously because it felt too inoperational Mm -hmm. I felt it was too high level and I wasn't able to connect it back then to a day-to-day basis of the startup world I think the risk um, the risk management uh, that scaling lean and I really recommend this book which is by the same guy that did running lean scaling lean really goes into this process and it's completely based on systems theory, which is uh, funny enough that the degree that I did, which I thought at the time that I'd, I had no idea how I was going to apply, uh, but it is the best methodology to try to understand the uncertainties that our business model has, right? So our business model is completely filled with assumptions. Yeah. Um, we have to validate those assumptions and generating a, uh, a, say, a repeatable model is really what is going to bring the success and obviously what investors want at the end of the day. So identifying first which of those business model blocks have been actually validated with evidence. So not just our opinion or with market data, but also with qualitative data and even the, the quantitative data, right? And then looking at those risks and then prioritizing them in a sense of, okay, which of these risks or which of these assumptions are the most critical one if our business, uh, for our business to fail, right? So in the case of our business model, is the customer profile, first of all, are we targeting the right customer? And are we targeting the right uh, the right customer jobs? And then obviously we move down to, are we delivering this, the, the best product, right? And then from then we move on uh, to the rest ones, what, what, um, the importance of tackling, you know, and we look at the desirability and viability and feasibility. We break the business model canvas into those three angles. Uh, what normally happens with entrepreneurs, we start working on feasibility. Can we do it? So on the technical risk mm-hmm. and it's really market risk that takes most companies down and the market risks is, should we do it? And are we focused on the right aspect of the business, right? So. Prioritizing uh, those assumptions as the highest risk means that those are the first assumptions we should be testing in the next phase. So creating lean experiments to test that. Because if we validate that, then we can move to the next phase. If we start, let's say, with an idea and we go immediately to, okay, let me see if I can build the backend or let me see if I can do an integration. Let me see if I can build this, this prototype cast or something. And then we spend a year or even three months, and then we go back and then we try and sell this product and nobody's going to buy it. Then um, obviously, we've wasted all that time. So, yeah. the key aspect of systems engineering there and, and how lean is about avoiding waste. And uncertainty and risk is the highest form of waste that you could have in a system. Uh, and that understanding, I think, uh, for me has really brought back the business model into play yeah. uh, in line with the lean experiments of course yeah and one of the main
0: issues is that uncertainty and risk is in implemented in the entrepreneurship it's that's the whole thing about it uh, like you do something new mm-hmm. nobody else did before so of course there's no data there and no proof there so yeah. you live with the the risk And you try to minimize it or uncertainty and you try to minimize it as much as possible and then you hope you you get good
1: out at the end. Exactly. I mean entrepreneurship is uh, finding uh, value inside uncertainty in uncertain conditions and um, I think having that understanding from first principles is the main thing. When we start, risk will be at its highest. So if we don't operate under those conditions... Then it's it's extremely dangerous.
0: Yeah. So you already mentioned some some books, uh, my listeners should should read. (laughs) Um, What else you you can mention?
1: Sure. So um, so I said the running lean if you're starting. I think scaling lean if if you're uh, trying to to push beyond that traction. um, I think. Again, I really, really recommend the business model generation. Uh, I've revisited in the last year. I've really uh, refound how actually insightful it is. Uh, and Value Proposition Canvas, I would really recommend actually before that. So, Value Proposition Canvas actually contains all of this methodology we've been speaking about. It's, yes. it's very contained. Uh, I had it for two years, I had read it, 70%. but reading at 95% really brings uh, to another level so i really recommend that um i think uh, user story mapping i think it's a great book if we're looking more into product uh i think lean analytics also it's a very good book um if we're looking at uh, strategize i think it's also a really good book more on a high level basis but um from a very successful product manager um Anything across lean, anything across testing, um, and anything across um, validation and discovery. I think every really entrepreneur should have in their in their library. And then you can go down to more like 1990s books, so the Alchemy of Growth. That's 2000. Alchemy of Growth. I think it's very good. Talks yeah. about the three horizons. Also, uh, and then maybe some book on like Kaizen. Which is like 1980s Toyota uh, system, uh, lean system production. That's really good. Um, and uh, there's definitely a few uh, a few good out there. I can provide also a bigger
0: list. Cool. Well, there were already good recommendations. <laughs> and then the last question I always like to ask is: If you could go back in time to your 18 year old self, and you had quite an interesting tracker card so far, so switch a lot around. So what would you tell them? What would you tell your 18-year-old self? It's a great question.
1: Um, It's always a funny one, uh, but I think I would have told them to... So two things, I think. Um, Number one would be to really try to think about life with that systems perspective, so early on, which. I feel I did quite a lot, but I feel I could have been avoided a lot more waste uh, if I had done a simple uh, risk assessment. Um, so really uh, applying early on the risk assessment and experimentation uh, kind of thing to everything. Um, I, I feel that's really turbocharged a lot, a lot of my life in many different levels, so personal level too. Uh, and this, which leads into the second part which I think at the personal level I would have told myself to really give myself time to make uh, great connections not just let's say uh, party connections but mm-hmm. really try and go out there and probably not get discouraged if you have great ideas by other people around you that really don't maybe believe or understand what you're doing uh, and, and really try and find a group of people that is as excited as you are about what you're doing uh, and, and specifically trying to fix something in the world yeah. uh, and, and, and try to just double down on that aspect of life. Like, I think it's highly fulfilling. I, I wish I would have been uh, doing this you know, I was building products but I was doing everything by myself I wish I would have been with other people much earlier uh, doing these type of activities and I think we need more of that in the world and uh, and on a personal basis I don't think that there's anything more fulfilling uh, than family of course than, than helping other people and, and fixing problems and and uh, yeah, rising uh, the conditions of living for, for yourself and for everybody around the world so uh Yeah, so a bit more methodical. Don't disregard personal uh, life. Make great connections and and believe in yourself and and go do great things. Cool. That's nice last words. So thank you very much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. So see you next time, guys.